And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and the first of our Major League Soccer 2024 season previews. On this episode, we're taking a look up and down the east from the current MLS Cup favourite into Miami to very much the opposite of the current favourite, Toronto FC and everything in between. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a preview panel that couldn't be any better suited to the task. Firstly, we have your friend of mine, Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. I know what you mean. I appreciate that billing. I think when we're talking about qualifications to talk MLS, I am the third of three on, on this panel, but I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk MLS. Today. No, no, no. Taylor, Ryan's here. Ryan's here. Oh, you're not, you're not on the so bottom. Don't thank worry. You. Thank you for that, Joe. Thank you. Fourth of four, do you mean, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> Joe Lowry joining us. Hello, Joe. That wasn't me. I definitely didn't take shots at our lovely host today. Ryan, it is lovely to see you. I'm excited, as always, when it comes time to do these shows. They're some of my favorite shows every year. Covering 29 teams across two episodes is like a ridiculously monumental task, but we're here to do it anyway. We are indeed. Strap in, listener. Joining us also, we have Mr. David Goss joining us from the fine state of Indiana. Hello, David. Taylor, I wouldn't actually stress about this because I've chosen to send my MLS Next Pro level version of myself to oh. this recording instead mm-hmm. of my A-team. So you'll potentially be equal to me. So you mean a usual recording session for you? Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> Took my knees out from under me. <laughs> oh, no, boy. I just mean promising up-and-comers who have interesting takes. That's clearly what I meant, Gus. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I'll take it. All right, guys, let's do some season previewing, shall we? The season kicks off on Wednesday with Inter Miami taking on Rail Salt Lake at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm so excited. I never even noticed Apple charging me for the season pass because, on reflection, they haven't. They start charging several days after the season starts on February 25th. Huh. I guess if you don't already have a pass, you're not watching the opener. I don't know how this is going to work, but here we are. Uh, Hey, MLS 2024. I don't know how this is going to work, but here we are. Are you trying to say you can't subscribe to Apple TV if you don't already have an MLS season pass subscription? I'm saying if you go on the app, it says renews on February 25th. The season very much starts on February 21st. So I don't know how if you don't currently have one, how you're watching that game. That's, I don't know. Maybe I'm, it's I'm all seeing free something week different one in, in, in this yeah. scenario. But yeah, it's it okay. might all Let's be free on. week one. It might all be free week one. You'll probably uh, have the solution there, David. Um, Joe, before we get into the previews, where are we at with MLS, so sort of image wise at this sure. point? We've got a situation where the league doesn't necessarily want to pay its referees what they feel they deserve. We've got the situation where the league doesn't necessarily want to play Open Cup to arguably help the US soccer pyramid. Image-wise, it seems to me like it's a bit of a challenging time for the league. Yeah, amongst the diehards, I think that's absolutely true, right? Like, people on on social media are talking about saving the U.S. Open Cup, which is something that I would very like to see saved. Uh, And we've got the referee situation that seems like we're getting replacement refs for the beginning of the season. 
which hasn't happened in quite some time, but it has happened and it's not a great look for the league. Uh, but amongst the the casual fans, the ones that MLS is trying to convert, you know, they don't they don't know this stuff is happening, right? They know about Leo Messi, they know about Inter Miami, they know maybe a few other facts about the league. And MLS's hope is that you you're able to get a few of those folks in the door via Miami or via you know whatever other means you can, and that eventually the, the sheer size of the diehard fan population starts to grow. So yeah, Ryan, amongst folks that that we're in and around all the time, and I'm guessing a lot of listeners to this show, there is some concern about what MLS is doing right now. But I I don't think MLS is particularly concerned about those things. Why? <laughs> Shouldn't they be? Well, it doesn't seem like MLS has a, a fast connection to their own diehard fans, given that there also aren't very many of them. And so for them, I think it's a grass is greener on the other side yeah. situation. If you can draw in a few more million fans with Leo Messi and into Miami this year, whether they can do that is a completely different discussion that we do not have time for on this episode. But if you can do that stuff, all of a sudden alienating people over the U.S. Open Cup doesn't feel so bad. Yep, that's fair enough. Uh, it is a Messi-based economy, of course, Taylor, this league uh, ongoing. And when you say Messi, you mean Lionel Messi, but I, I mean Messi like the adjective because it does feel like this is the most chaotic start to a season I can remember in Major League Soccer. Goss and Joe are better positioned to discuss that. But I think about the the situation with the referees you mentioned, Ryan, about not having clarity over how the, the rules work, the budgets work, uh, clarity on if Inter-Miami is cap compliant. And then j- just all the other issues going into this season, it feels like a more chaotic start than we've seen with U.S. Open Cup involved, uh, with the CCC already underway. It, it just feels like there's so many things happening and so many things not happening simultaneously. Uh, I, I guess it's good chaos in that it's going to bring some eyes and probably create some talking points. But it is still a chaotic beginning to the season for sure. It is indeed. But Taylor, we are going to attempt to make sense from the chaos, at least from the perspective mm-hmm. of reviewing every team as they go into this season. We're going to go through alphabetically. So logically speaking, in the East, we're going to start, Taylor, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Georgia. Tell us about uh, Atlanta FC, uh, what they got up to last season, what's been changing, how they're going into 2024 sure. and their exactly position and point tally, please, mm-hmm. Taylor. Uh, well, Joe will be doing all of the exactly position <laughs> awesome. tallying. Uh, but for me, my summary for Atlanta United, uh, the summary of the preview would be, here we go for the falsetto, Tiago, baby, please don't go. Uh, that is what I'm saying is the key thing for Atlanta. Somebody clip Ti- that. <laughs> Tiago Amada is probably going to be the story of the season. More on him to come. Last season, 51 points, good for sixth in the East. They lost to the crew in the opening round of the playoffs. In terms of what has changed... I really like what Atlanta United have done in the offseason. And maybe this is overly simplistic, but I think any time a front office identifies, here are the areas of vulnerability, here are the solutions to those areas, it seems like it is a logical way to build a roster to prepare for the season. And I think Garth Lagerway has done just that. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid or the Flavor-Aid on that one, but it seems like what they've done is smart to me. Uh, goalkeeper was an issue last season. Uh, Joe isn't nodding, but I know is nodding because I read his Atlanta United preview. He had some thoughts on Brad Kuzan. Uh, had a very rough year. More goals than expected than all but one goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. That is a, a stat from Backfield. Thank you, Joe. Uh, so in comes Josh Cohen from Maccabi Haifa. He will be competition for Brad Guzan and likely the eventual starter for Atlanta United in defense. They lose Miles Robinson to free agency, which is a really big loss. They bring in uh, Stian Gregerson, uh, arriving from Bordeaux as a replacement in midfield. They needed some more depth, some more quality. They get Dax McCarty, who is 
a veteran bringing wisdom and deputizing ability. And then Bartosz uh, Slis, I think is how you say that one. There's a lot of Z's and S's in there. Uh, 24-year-old Poland international from Legia Warsaw. He'll partner Tristan Muyumba in the middle. Uh, more on Mr. Slis in just a bit. In terms of how they'll play uh, under Gonzalo Pineda, I think they'll attack in a 4-2-3-1, defend in a 4-5-1. Uh, they had the second highest possession in Major League Soccer last season, possession stats, which means they want the ball. And in the final third, I think they were reliant on individuals last year because they had so many very good individual attackers. I think with some of the acquisitions, there could be more of a systematic attacking approach. Uh, but I think they still have the individual quality to get some goals uh, like that alone. Uh, they will press after possession loss. They'll counter rapidly if they win the ball back. And I think in terms of where they should be optimistic would be in that attack. Uh, they, they will be very strong through there. They've got uh, Georgios Jacomakis, uh, 17 goals in 1,700 minutes. Uh, did have injury issues last season. Hopefully he can stay a bit more fit this year. But I think he is an exceptionally good MLS striker. They've got Zandi Silva, four goals and three assists in 12 games. He was a summer addition on the left. Saba Lobianidze on the right. I was less familiar with him. I watched a lot of footage of him. I really like him. Uh, he can use both feet uh, better with his right, but can use uh, his left as well. Really clever, really fun to watch. Tends to carry inside uh, and then look for through balls or little passes behind the lines. Sometimes he holds on to it a little bit too long, but I really like his dribbling and sort of the chaos that he can create by driving at defenses. I want him to shoot more. I hope he scores more goals this season. It felt like he looked to pass when there were times when there were opportunities to shoot. So if he can score some goals on his own, I think that certainly improves the Atlanta attack. And then Tiago Almada, the aforementioned, uh, their most important player, their best player, uh, their critical number 10, who it sounds like Joe uh, would say is a foregone conclusion he will leave in the summer. And so then the question is, if he does, how do they replace him? Who can replace him? Do they try to replace him or do they change up what they're doing entirely and and sort of go with what they have? That is the very much developing story that I think people will be paying attention to because he is so critical for them and so talented of a player it seems like he will be getting an offer at some point. As to my very specific prediction, it's a different midfielder uh, I'm looking at. It is the aforementioned Bartos Lis, uh, who I think will be dispossessed the least of any Atlanta midfielder or attacker. Uh, I had to phrase it that way because I don't think their center backs are going to lose the ball a ton, and I don't think their goalkeeper will either. So I didn't want to say of any Atlanta player. Um, but I, I watched a lot of him uh, and... I think Joe, in his preview for Atlanta United for backfield, uh, had him as a no-frills midfielder. I think there are some frills. Not many, but there are some frills. He's got a few little moves. He's got a few little uh, carries forward. But he covers a ton of ground. He blocks up the middle. He assists in defense. He's got a very good recovery rate. Uh, and he definitely commits a healthy amount of fouls to break up counterattacks and to try to make plays when somebody gets through. So he is sort of the defensive cover he was in the 99th percentile for miscontrols in a good way. That sounds confusing, but it meant he didn't lose the ball a ton. Uh, 88th percentile uh, in terms of being dispossessed, which meant he kept the ball a lot. So I think his job will be to plug the middle uh, to do a lot of the defensive work so that attackers ahead of him don't have to. And I think when he is on the ball, his job will be to keep it, play simple passes, play smart passes, facilitate possession. So I think he will be dispossessed the least of any Atlanta midfielder or attacker. That is my Atlanta United preview. Taylor, that was excellent, and I love the Sleece analysis at the end. In, in general, super comprehensive. My question for you, you talked about the attack being mm -hmm. the reason for optimism, and I, I think that's exactly right. How concerned are you about the defense, right? Losing Miles Robinson is a big thing, even though Miles Robinson wasn't very good last year. 
Josh Cohen, despite being my my best friend, we're not best friends, but he was the first player I ever interviewed. Like, like he is a, a good goalkeeper, likely, mm-hmm. but we don't really know how good he is. How worried are you about sort of the back five for this team, including Cohen? Sure. Could that be my answer? I mean, I... I Don't be I, worried about it, Taylor. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't affect you materially. It's okay. Uh, there are definitely reasons for concern. Uh, I, I think when you're looking at, say, left back, where the expectation would be it will be Caleb Wiley. He's 19 years old. That can be very exciting because he can be the next big thing for that Atlanta defense, and, and he has proven himself capable at the same time it's a lot to put on a, on a 19-year-old to be the starter and to be a sort of linchpin of that defense. Uh, as I said, it, it will be Stan Gregerson coming in, partnering with uh, Abram in the middle, and then I would assume Brooks Lennon will be the outright starter on the right, ba- right back uh, with some other options there. So I, I think you have like three of the four starters returning, and I think Gregerson, from what I've seen of him, I've watched less of him than I have other players for Atlanta. Uh, he seems like he will be a ca- capable replacement maybe not at miles robinson's level immediately but it does seem like he is a logical signing that will make them capable to start and then i think improve as the season goes on so i think there are reasons for trepidation but at the same time i think they should be okay especially with the attacking options it is not so imbalanced the way maybe other teams i'm going to be previewing are uh, I agree with you, Taylor. I think they've gotten better in every spot around that position. So even if Gregerson was a step back from Miles Robinson, I think the team took a step forward and they'll control games more. I think Mayumba is going to be, like we saw last year, a difference maker. Now he gets to settle in. They build it around him. Plus, of course, Josh Cohen. So I think if I was an Atlanta fan, I'd be concerned because it's a big name player and a star and a foundational piece of your club from day one. But Overall, I think by the end of this year, we'll feel like Atlanta is more solid defensively than they were. Yeah, I I think it really is the Almada conundrum is the thing that I'm going to keep being interested in. And Atlanta fans will probably be stressed by because if they figure it all out and they've got this whole team humming and, and it's all going through him and then they sell him for a lot of money, that's great. They sold him for a lot of money, more profile, all that good stuff. But then... Are you able to find somebody who can do what he does? Certainly not at that level because they won't have the familiarity. And also he is exceptionally good. So I, I just I think that to me is is the big what if what might happen for Atlanta this season. Thank you, Taylor. We go north to the Carolinas next. And Joe Larry is going to tell us all about the mighty Charlotte FC. Joseph, a new coach, fewer DPs. What's <laughs> happening Uh in Charlotte. I'm coming to you at the end, Ryan, for some local perspective. But to start off, the headline for the Charlotte FC team, can they become a real player in the Eastern Conference? That is the big headline, the big question for this group. Or at least can they be better than they've been? They finished in ninth place in the East in both of their two seasons in Major League Soccer so far. Finished on 43 points last year. Snuck into the wildcard spots. Again, almost everybody makes the playoffs in MLS. And they lost in that wildcard game to the New York Red Bulls. Christian Latanzio was fired in November and was dealt a a really, really bad hand, in my mind, by uh, Chief Soccer Officer Zoran Cronetta. Uh, But he also didn't help himself either with detailed and and sort of super rotation-heavy possession structures and a really aggressive defensive approach. Didn't feel like those things necessarily fit the talent at his disposal. Again, just probably not not the right fit for a manager. And so looking towards the offseason moves... You go out if you're Charlotte FC and you get a manager who can work with what you're going to give him. And that is exactly the kind of coach that Dean Smith is. With Christian Latanzio out, Charlotte went out and hired the 52-year-old Dean Smith. 
Uh, he is Dean Smith, which is great in North Carolina and means you have some love already. But other than his, obviously, name connections, you've got his track record as a coach over in England. He's coached Brentford and Aston Villa, Norwich City, Leicester City, a couple of other clubs as well. I think he's got a pretty decent pedigree while also still saying that I don't think there's a ton of evidence that points to him being like a real difference maker on the sidelines, but I think he's a respectable hire that will earn multiple seasons in charge, which for Charlotte FC is sort of a rare thing. And the pressure then shifts to Cronetta, as I mentioned, to give Dean Smith an actual competitive team to work with. In terms of other incomings, there hasn't been a lot. Nikola Pekovic, excuse me, comes in and, and he arrived last year, but was placed in the next pro squad, 20-year-old Serbian uh, has, I think, one cap with Serbia. He got it in a January camp against the U.S. He's a very strong, talented young player, good distributor with his right foot. And Charlotte always wanted him in the first team squad, but they, they didn't have the flexibility or couldn't make that happen. He's here now, and I expect him to play, you know, 1,500 minutes or more in the regular season. He is one of the young players to watch for this team. In terms of outgoings, they lost some, some role players, Derek Jones to Columbus, Justin Miram, Guzman Carujo. But really, the, the two headliners are the DPs, right? And you kind of mentioned it in that pitch. Swiderski is gone. He was the first DP in Charlotte FC history and was fine to good in MLS, but didn't really have a consistent spot. And they brought in Capetti last offseason, which kind of took the number nine job away from him. And it just didn't really seem to make sense. He's now on loan at Hellas Verona in Syria, and that DP spot is back on the table. And Camille Josviak is also gone for my money. One of the worst DP signings in league history. He scored two goals across 2,500 minutes, across two seasons in MLS. He will not be missed, and he is now in Spain. So again, two DP spots open. I would expect Charlotte to go get something done ahead of the close of the primary transfer window. That's the transfer window we're in. That closes near the end of April. But still, outside of a few rumblings, there hasn't been a ton of concrete developments on that front. Tactically, you know, we haven't seen what a Dean Smith-led Charlotte FC team is going to look like just yet in an official competition, but we can make a pretty good guess, right? I mean, he's entering this first MLS season, has a track record of leaning more towards transition than possession, likely going to be a 4-2-3-1 shape, although there is no delightful number 10 in this squad as of yet. I would expect that to be one of the DP additions. Smith just came out and said, like, I'm, I'm not going to play like Pepper Klopp because I don't have the players. He told that to Charlie Boehm after he was announced as manager, and I think that's absolutely the right move. We're going to see some pressing, but likely a lot of mid-block defending, a lot of transition play with some possession sprinkled in along the way. You know, reasons for optimism and concern, because I think there are those things for every team in Major League Soccer because the roster rules are designed to promote parity rather than, you know, dynasties. The, the reason for hope for Charlotte is that there are two DP slots open and you've got some young players that have high upside that you can sprinkle around them once you get those players in the door. Ben Bender, Kerwin Vargas, Privet and Melanda in the back line. There are nice pieces here that could turn into something if you bring in the right stars to really support them and, and shine ahead of them. The concern is that the squad is kind of old and bad and unproven and that you're not sure you're going to hit on those two DPs when Cronetta is leading the way in the front office. Capetti is not a good number nine. He wasn't especially good in Argentina and he wasn't good last year. Yes, there were injuries as well, Charlotte fans, but he's not someone I would stake my reputation on. The fullbacks are old and unproductive in the attack and Melanda and Privet are unproven in the middle of the back line. The, winger, the wingers are also unproven and the midfield is old. So like there are real concerns here as well. I lean more towards the concern side than the optimism side, but DPs can change the game in this league, and, and that does leave the door open for Charlotte to compete. Uh, my VSP, I feel a little bit bad. I have nothing against Zoran Cronetta whatsoever, but I've bashed on him a few times now. Uh, my prediction is that he will not be in this job when we're doing this preview next year. 
He, I don't think, has warranted it. I think Smith will outlast him inside of the organization. He feels like the piece that is going to be at the center of more things moving forward than Cronetta, who has objectively failed so far, and, and maybe he lands on his feet somewhere else. But my VSP is that Zoran Cronetta will not be back in the front office at this time next year. Okay. Yeah, I think you're spot on with most of that, Joe. And yeah, you make some very good points. Like, I think my overall sense, Joe, is that I'm not convinced this team is in a better position at the start of this season than it was last yeah. season. I, it, arguably, it's weaker. D- Dean Smith is the unknown quantity here. As you say, we don't know what an MLS side under him is going to look like. Obviously, he has great pedigree, but his last few jobs arguably didn't go very well. So we, it, it's just, I mean, we've got that preseason optimism here in Charlotte, but I don't know if it's well-founded because, as you say, there's a couple of pieces of the puzzle that need to come in, particularly from a DP perspective. So, I don't know. That's my <laughs> overall sense. No, that's helpful. I like the local perspective, and I think that is that's probably how Charlotte fans should be feeling. It's MLS. You should be optimistic in preseason, right? But to your initial point, Ryan, I, I don't think you can look at this squad and say it's gotten better today You know, compared to where it was to start last season. And that's a concern in an Eastern Conference that is really, really deep and really, really talented. Indeed. Well, I'm looking forward to the opener against New York City FC this coming weekend. Uh, Mr. David Gus, Indiana Gus, can I call you that now? Is that okay? Well, we're going with that one. Good. Excellent. He said yes. Uh, I heard him. I heard him. <laughs> Happened faster than I could think because I'm a Midwesterner now, so I need a lot of time to process and engage. <laughs> All right. Well, I think um, you're going to be covering Chicago for us first off. Is that geographically? Are you with the closest MLS team yeah. right now? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Oh, I did some geography. Well done to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Chicago, no playoffs last year. What are we thinking? Better hopes for this time around? Didn't Hoping you weren't going to start me with that question. I have <laughs> no idea uh, on that one. For the Chicago Fire, last year was, of course, another banner year. They fired their manager in May after going two, three, and five to start the year. They've, of course, moved to Soldier Field to fix their attendance issues, and they were 23rd out of 29 in attendance last year, averaging just over 18,000. That includes, of course, on the average, they set their record against Inter-Miami, uh, 62,000 fans came. I don't know why that specific game, but a lot of people chose to show up, uh, show up for that one. It came out last year that uh, Shakiri is the highest paid player in Major League Soccer. I would assume that's not the case anymore, but it was last year. And he had a worse year two than year one with five goals and five assists last year. Joe Larry trying to make it competitive because Chicago Fire's DP Jairo Torres had zero goals, started eight games, and then was cut about a week ago after coming in on, I believe it was a $6 million signing. And they started last year selling Gaga Slonina, but replaced him with Chris Brady, who's going to be a large part of what I talk about coming up because he was one of the best young players. Joe, do you have a Camille Joe's react Jairo Torres debate you want to have, or do you just feel good leaving it? Um, wow. I feel, I feel good <laughs> leaving it. They are certainly both in that top tier of worst DPs ever. Great. This is fun. I like talking about the best of the best when we can get an opportunity uh, for the fire in the offseason. Um, Frank Klopas, the interim manager, who's basically synonymous with the club, was kept on after not making the playoffs by the front office, who's led by George Heights, who in four seasons has never made the playoffs. So therefore, he deserved a contract extension, which he received in the offseason. I love this so much. <laughs> in, in the offseason. Usman Dumbale, Dumbia, a fake designated player they signed last year, probably to move money around because of financial fair play from Switzerland, is gone after playing a half season. Alonzo Aceves, a Mexican youth international fullback who was on loan, did not return. Miguel Navarro was traded. Casper Shabilko was moved to 
the Chicago Fire owner's Swiss team, Lugano, which seems convenient, and Kai Kamara, who's still chasing the MLS goal-scoring record, is out after scoring a bunch of goals at the beginning of the year and then cooling off and losing all of his playing time. But a big offseason incoming. Kellen Acosta, who most people listening to the show know and love, coming in as a free agent from LAFC, and Hugo Kuypers, acquired from Belgium. He was the golden boot winner in the Belgian league last year. The transfer is somewhere between 12 and $14 million, which is a club record. He's 26 years old. He had 20 goals in league play in 33 appearances last year. He had 34 goals in 56 appearances in all comps last season across European competition, cup competition, and the Belgian league. Tobias Salquist was brought in as a center back from Denmark. Andrew Gutmann uh, comes home. He was a potential homegrown who chose not to sign with the team, left because Playing for Chicago sounded terrible. Now he's back. As a starter, he was traded for uh, for Miguel Navarro. Tom Barlow was traded and brought in, and Alan Argioni was brought in on loan from, guess the club in Switzerland? Lugano. <laughs> so it's always good to own multiple things around the world and move them around like chess pieces. Uh, when you talk tactics with this team, it's a short conversation, but normally you'd say a team that plays in a deeper, lower block, counterattacking, and for Frank Klopas, I think it's more vibes than specifics, so it's a lot leaning on the talent, allowing them to dictate things based off what position you put them in. For optimism, they've added five starters. Uh, The two brightest spots last year in this team were Chris Brady, who I mentioned, who stepped in for Gaga Slonina, a 19-year-old goalkeeper, and was a plus at the goalkeeping position, which is like unheard of at that age. Statistically, he was better than Gaga Slonina, who got sold for $10 million to Chelsea uh, the year before. And then Brian Gutierrez, who was their best attacking piece. Both of them were teenagers. So in theory, they should both get better after a year. You bring in, of course, a record signing as a Golden Boot winner in a pretty competitive European league. And five new starters is what I calculated overall. Uh, and this should be a much better year. The concern, you extended a GM who hasn't made the playoffs in four straight years, and he signed all those players. So there's good and bad in that. But the idea is when they've spent money, and they have spent money over the last four years, they've spent it poorly in situations like Jairo Torres, Robert Barich, uh, and of course, Shakiri. I would say for most games, they won't have the best player on the field in Major League Soccer, which always makes it hard to win. And center back is a very questionable position for them overall. I wish I didn't go after Joe because mine sort of steals his, but I'm going to say that my VSP is that Shakiri will not be mentioned on this team by the time we get to these previews next year. I'd be shocked if he finishes the year with this team, even with Heights getting the extension uh, and Klopas still sort of being an interim. I think it's going to become pretty obvious that he's not worth what they pay him. And I think the reset culturally by losing him will be worth more than thinking his talent will hit at some point. Wow. No more power cube at Soldier Field. Sad to hear it. Uh, Sounds like you're not jumping for joy at the prospect of seeing this team this year, Gus. I I think I've been fooled before of like, they make a lot of moves. They spent money. Exciting. But if someone does it poorly enough times, you got to stop getting excited. I think Kuypers will score goals. Um, He's, I think he's very similar to Yakumaki's where it's just like attacking every little half thing in the box, but he does not create chances. He does not shoot from outside the box. He's not a guy you're going to play through. So I don't know that he can change the life of everyone else on that team. I think Kellen Acosta is the big question mark. How big of a a plus can he be? And if he can be 
elite at his position, then it probably helps you play those other guys in midfield they've spent money on in Navarro and Jimenez who don't cover enough ground to really be on the field consistently. Very nice. Uh, Taylor, if you Mm -hmm. will, will you take us to the second Queen City, the inferior one, for Mm -hmm. a little chat about FC Cincinnati, uh, reigning supporter shield champs. What's going on with them? Uh, Yes, FC Cincinnati from wooden spoon to silver spoon, but not yet the golden spoon. Last season, 69 points, first in the East, lost in the conference finals to the crew. Uh, They are a long way away from back-to-back-to-back wooden spoons, even if that was really only two seasons ago. They were fifth in 2022 and then first last year. In terms of what's different, they've made some signings. Miles Robinson arrives uh, as a Mosquera upgrade. He'll start in the back line, which makes that back line even stronger than it was last year, and that's saying something. Uh, Brandon Vasquez, the USMT forward, has departed for $7.5 million, uh, so pressure is very much on Aaron Bupenza. Uh, Corey Baird is likely the other starter. He's the other arrival, uh, so he'll probably play in a front two. I'm... I'm not as optimistic. Uh, Pablo Buxa arrives, a 25-year-old Czech midfielder. He'll partner Obina Nuobodo. Whew, easy for me to say. In the middle, uh, replaces Junior Moreno. So again, we're seeing, I feel like, upgrades in a number of different spots that make a lot of sense. Uh, Luca Oriano is a player that I was less familiar with. Joe wrote about him. I'm just going to keep citing Joe's previews because they're excellent for backyield. Um, 23-year-old Argentine winger from Vasco da Gama. Joe, where do you think he's going to play most of this season? Most of this season, uh-huh. he will play as a right wing back. And then after Alvaro Barrial leaves, I think he'll play as a left wing back. Yeah. So I agree. I am confused uh, because he is, <laughs> to my mind, not really played much defense. Uh, I guess that's what they need for the system in the the three four one two or the five three two. They, I guess they want wingbacks instead of the wingers. But I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him, especially since he'll be playing likely at right wing back, even though he's left footed to start. So out of position. Not really in his dom on his dominant foot. I still think is very very good, especially in his attacking play. Uh, so I think he will still be a really exciting player for Cincinnati fans. I think he will create some goals and score some goals himself. Uh, as I said, in terms of how they want to play under Pat Noonan, three four one two in attack. Uh, both wing backs are going to be very much involved in that attack, and it is very strong, especially with Lucho Acosta as the number ten. As Joe is fond of pointing out, MLS is a league of number 10s. Lucho Acosta is a very, very good one. Uh, and then has the the combination of Buxa and Nuoboto behind him. Uh, Nuoboto is an elite ball winner and an elite midfielder, I think, in this league. So that midfield three is is, is very strong for them. Uh, a point that, let me just check this, backyield made, uh, is that they ground out a lot of games Back last ball? season. 14 games won by a one-goal margin. That has me nervous. Uh, and that is where... I think I am more down on FC Cincinnati than a lot of people are. Not significantly down. I still think they're going to be very good. But it is that attack that has me slightly concerned. Because even if the defense is as good as it was or better, you still have to score those goals to win by a one-goal margin. And and I think that that is where a specific prediction for me comes from. I have two. The first would be they're going to sign another attacker at some point this season. Because I think, no disrespect to Corey Baird, but a little disrespect to Corey Baird, I think... You need a difference maker in attack to partner Aaron Bupenza, who's my other specific prediction. Uh, And and I think he is such an electric attacker and such an exciting attacker that I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to score a ton of goals. I think he alone will be able to elevate the team at times. But I still think there's going to be injuries. It's a long season. You're going to need more talent in there and a variety of more talent in there. Uh, So I have... 
a ton of faith in goal and in their defense. I think the midfield is even stronger. I think Lucho is still Lucho. It's just the attack that maybe I'm putting too much weight on because maybe it will still be just fine. But that is the big question mark for me. So one specific prediction would be they'll sign another striker. The second would be that Aaron Bupenza will score 20 or more goals, at least uh, in all competitions. He's the former Golden Boot winner in the Turkish Super League. Uh, He had six goals and one assist in 14 matches last year. And is just crazy fun to watch. Uh, He's a very good finisher. Uh, He is very good at arriving in the box at the exact right moment for cutbacks and crosses, but also really good in link-up play, really clever in little flicks and tricks and back heels to play players through. And then I just love an attacker who plays that type of ball or makes a little pass. He gets a lot of like MLS assists to himself by turning and playing a ball, then sprinting in to get on the end of a return pass. And just that that dynamism, that level of energy and that attacking creativity can be a difference maker, as I said. So he is the player that I'm most excited about for this team and makes me really want to watch FC Cincinnati. I just hope that they have enough around him uh, and Worth noting that Lucho Acosta, I believe, was their top scorer last season. So it's not like Brandon Vasquez was a a hugely massive hit. It is a, a hit, but I think it's one that they can replace. And I think one that if they do and if they find a way to get more goals, I think they will be just as strong, if not stronger, as they were last season. Yeah, I'm fascinated by what the summer's going to look like for Cincinnati. I think a lot of folks, myself included, believe that Alvaro Barreal is going to probably move to Europe which then changes the calculus and, and maybe moves you know players around the field a little bit, which then could create the opportunity for another number nine to come in and relegate Corey Baird to the bench. You know, I don't know if since you're going to need to make that move, maybe the attack will be a real problem. Taylor, I'm also sort of with you. I don't think they're going to win the Shield again this year. I think there'll be a couple slots lower in the Eastern Conference, but man, this is a good team, and the summer could tell us a lot about what they think of themselves heading towards the playoffs. I Yeah, I disagree a little bit. I, I think... I think the concerns are fair. I think when you look at this team, similar to sort of what I said in Atlanta, of like the cohesive of the whole, I think you're going to look at it and say, because Bupenz is such, so much more of a complete player than Brandon Vasquez or Brenner was, that even with Corey Baird and Sergio Santos being a step behind both of those guys, in total, you're attacking two are going to give you similar production with an upgrade in Oriano on the right side flopping over from Barrial. So I think, and the belief I, from what I've heard is that Buka also provides a little bit more quality in possession than what they had in midfield. So I think they took a step back losing Vasquez and replacing it with Corey Bird, and then they took a quarter step forward in four other positions. I think it's fair to say if Barrial leaves, that might all go in the wind, and then you have to sort of reset some things after that. But last year, if we did this show, Tiago Amato was gone in the summer. Now he's still here. When we do this, we assume all of these things are going to work out as they should. And it seems that transfers coming from MLS to Europe are a a little bit less cohesive than what we've experienced. You throw in like a Copa America in the summer and the Olympics coming up where guys will be from MLS will be playing in those things. Are they available for their medicals? Do they want to leave right before a tournament? Things like that, that I think throw things up in the air and Cincinnati, I think has proven over the last two years, especially with the Vasquez move of like, they have the confidence from the players to say, we know we believe in what's best for you. Like we can work on this. Maybe it happens in December. Maybe it's a pre-contract, something like that. All right, Joe, take us now to lower.com field. One of the worst stadium names out there. Uh, let's talk about Columbus crew. They did rather well last season. Oh yeah. How's it going to go this time around? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good by all accounts. 
Yeah, it, it does genuinely feel like just yesterday that I was in Columbus watching them beat LAFC and sort of play them off the field for stretches of that match. And it's very weird that we're already back at the start of a new season. The big picture headline for this crew team is that all 11 starters are back from their MLS Cup win over LAFC. They are ready for another season playing for the best coach in the league in Wilfred Nance. And they want and should be favored to win another trophy. Last year, 2023, MLS Cup winners for the third time in club history. They controlled the ball. They created good chances. They scored one of the prettiest goals we've seen. One of the best assists we've ever seen in MLS in MLS Cup. Nancy absolutely justified the crew's decision to pay CF Montreal for his services. We don't see managers move for transfer fees very often, but uh, this is a case where it happened and was worth it. They were the most fun team to watch in the league last year, third in the Eastern Conference, one of the better teams all the way around, nearly from start to finish after a little bit of a bump early in the year. The summer transfer window was a huge change. Lucas Elrion was probably the headliner for this team last year. And without very much notice, he goes off to Saudi Arabia and Diego Rossi comes in and Cucho Hernandez becomes the star. And he is now very clearly the legitimate centerpiece of this team. In terms of key offseason moves, there have been very, very few. Julian Gressel is the only notable player to leave. He is now suiting up for Inter Miami. He left in free agency. Derek Jones, a player I like, came in in free agency from Charlotte FC. And, and probably the player that is most obviously filling a potential need for this team, but even the hesitancy in my voice probably tells you there aren't a lot of those needs for the crew. Marino Hinestroza, a winger or wingback, joined from Pachuca and Liga Mekis as a U22 initiative signing. He's a speculative addition, only played 1,400 minutes in Liga Mekis, but could be in line for minutes, especially at the, at the right wingback spot. I think that is a slot where he could fill in quite well as the year goes on. Tactically, I mentioned this team was the most fun to watch in MLS last year. That will be true again in 2024 within the context of how the entire team plays. Miami is, is the star power that nobody can match, but the crew have the quality from front to back and how they play as a unit. They lean all the way into possession. They take risks with the ball that nobody else is willing to in MLS. They'll literally put their foot on the ball to draw you forward, like baiting you out, and then they'll break lines and pass right into the heart of your shape. It's so fun to watch. They're a really, really good team. They're going to be good this year. The optimism is everyone's back. Cucho Hernandez is elite, and Wilfred Nance, I talked to him in the offseason, says he can get more from this team. Like, he thinks there's more levels for them to hit. Humble he brand. said they're at about a 6 out of 10. <laughs> so, like, th this is a, a legit team that has legit aspirations. They're at a 6? I know, crazy, right? I guess, I don't know what a 10 is. Maybe that's like Club World Cup championship in 2090 when it's 112 teams playing in the Club World Cup. Either way, that's, this that's is... being conservative, Joe. That's yeah, being you're right. conservative in your 112 numbers. doesn't even work. What would it have to be, like, one, 128? Yeah, we'll 256, really. We'll it's going to be 256, let's be honest. E either way, genuine superstar in the attack, useful to very good to elite pieces around him. Like, this team has everything you could want. The concern is that opposing teams aren't going to be surprised and they're going to have the experience of, of feeling what it's like to play against the crew and knowing how a little bit more to deal with them. Lower blocks, more efficient defensive structures. That's the concern. I think that will be an issue for the crew. They're going to be really filthy good this year. I lean way harder towards the optimism side. The VSP is that at least one Columbus crew player will pop up in a new position. And this feels like low-hanging fruit, to be honest, but I took it anyway. Last year, I mean, so many Columbus players found different spots in year one under Wilford Nance than they did in Caleb Porter's final year. It was Steven Marrera moving from right back to right center back. Yaya Boa becoming a wing back. Amundsen becoming a center back. Zawadzki becoming a center back. You can just kind of go down the list. Nancy's going to move somebody else around this year, and this team is going to win a lot. I love that you thought the math on that Club World Cup didn't work when the current Club World Cup does not have the right amount of teams to go through a bracket, and it's FIFA. They don't care. <laughs> Let, let me ask you this on Columbus. They won MLS Cup last year, and 
Nancy says the six out of 10, which is obviously more about probably how they play and how they dictate games. Yeah. But like, do they have to win supporter shield? Do they have to repeat? Like what's, what is a good year? What's a need for Columbus? What should not fans expect, but like what, what should this season be? A good year is a trophy. Like a good year is a trophy. I don't think it matters a ton, whether that's the cup or the shield or, you know, CCC or leagues cup, or hopefully us open cup. Like, this team wants to be competing for trophies. They should be competing for trophies. I think winning one and carrying over that momentum from last year is a successful season. Marvelous stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to DC United. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our MLS Eastern Conference preview. Indiana Garcia is now going to take us to DC. Tell us all about DC United, please, David. And be I gentle. Even, and be I gentle. I do not even realize that you're talking to me every time <laughs> you say Indiana Garcia. It's kind of. I mean, the headline, as Taylor knows, with DC United, it's hashtag history, hashtag culture. When you have a club whose roots are so deep, like DC United, you can't tear them up. 
And therefore, they fired their manager again last year. Uh, They fired their front office once again last year. They replaced the GM in a position that had not been filled for two years. What a year for GC United. Uh, They finished in 12th last season. Wayne Rooney technically left on October 7th. Sorry, mutually parting ways. I shouldn't say fired. That, that, yeah, that was a gross overstatement by me. That was after they were technically eliminated from the playoffs. Um, they finished on 40 points. They won two of their last eight games of the season, one being the decision day against another team that was already eliminated. But the change has come. So Ali McKay has been brought in as general manager. He spent five years as Nashville's assistant GM and was an agent with Stellar before that. He's the youngest CSO in Major League Soccer. And then he hired their new head coach to replace Wayne Rooney in Troy Lassane, who people remember last year from being the interim head coach for the Red Bulls. He was in New York for two years as an assistant for Gerhard Struber before becoming the interim. And before that, he was the first ever head coach slash technical director for New Mexico United. So he was the one that brought them into USL with all the excitement, all the fanfare that they hit the ground with. He was a reason for a lot of that. His roots are from Charleston, the Charleston Battery, and college soccer before that. So a pretty big shift from Wayne Rooney and Hernan Lasada, who had both been people. Lasada had never been in Major League Soccer, and of course Rooney had only ever played in MLS. They've made some... Slightly big moves in the offseason. They brought in Matty Patola, a 21-year-old designated player, defensive midfielder from Finland, Finnish international, but has only ever played in Finland. Aaron Herrera, they traded for from Montreal. They picked up Chris McVie from Inter-Miami in the fire sale that is the Inter-Miami back half of the roster right now. And then they made Gabriel Pirani a permanent transfer after having him on loan last year, which I know Joe doesn't feel Woo-woo. anything about that and doesn't want to talk about it at all. Out. In the middle of last year, noted racist Taxi Fontas left and went back to Europe. Victor Paulson was let go. Chris Durkin was traded to St. Louis for Jared Stroud and Lucas Bartlett, who were brought in as well. Huan was sent in the other direction in the Herrera trade. And then they cut like 18 other guys, rattle off some names, Donovan Pines, Yamil Assad, Andy Nahar, Eric Davis, Brendan Heinzeich, basically everyone they signed last year. They let them go. Uh, for Troy Lassane, we've seen him operate in the Red Bull system. People are asking, the big question people are asking, is he a high-pressing coach or not? So one, I'll just tell you, Red Bulls would not hire him if he wasn't. He was not as aggressively pressing with New Mexico as he was last year, but it's still in his DNA. So the expectations is it'll be a 4-3-3 right now, uh, a high-pressing team that wants to th- play long balls and then counter-press as well. The assumption is that's why Patola was brought in to cover ground, Jared Stroud has experience in a system like that also. Um, And the big concern with this team right now is their center backs playing a high line. You hope the system can hide them a little bit. Steve Birnbaum has been in this league for a while. He's been injured. There isn't really a reliable center back option alongside him either. But the exciting part about this setup is you play long to your center forward. And that's Christian Benteke, one of the best in major league soccer, an elite player around the world at times over the last few years was really good last year, 14 goals and four assists. My VSP will be around him as he will be the main outlet into the attack. The optimism is look at FC Cincinnati. Taylor just talked about them, talked about their potential to win trophies two years ago. That was a joke. They were a laughing stock, And a lot of the players who are on the current roster were part of that joke in that conversation. So with the right staff, the right plan, the right vibe, energy, attitude, all of that, 
things can turn around and go better. The concern, Ben Wright, who did a, does a fantastic job covering Nashville and MLS in general, does lineups and he colors each player based off where they stand at their position in MLS. And he has DC only has one player that is rated a high level starter or above, and that's Christian Benteke. So for the most part, they're at a talent efficiency in most of their games, but I'm going to give my VSP to Benteke, who went from zero assists year one to four assists in year two, and I'm going to say he doubles it and gets up to at least eight assists this season, being that center forward, being that outlet, being a guy that you can play off of and then play through. Marvelous stuff. Taylor, uh, there's a team we're going to talk about now. Mm -hmm who didn't make the playoffs last season, but they're now favorites to win MLS Cup uh, into Miami. Uh, any notable names or anything to talk about on their squad? Nah, we're good. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Fine. Uh, yeah, Inter Miami. My thesis for this preview, the like foundational aspect of this preview that I want to acknowledge up front, after his time at PSG, uh, I don't think the world needs to see Sad Messi anymore. And, and so I was really up in the air about Inter-Miami. Are they going to be good? Are they going to be bad? Are they going to be somewhere in between? And I've just decided, I don't want to see Sad Messi. MLS certainly doesn't want Sad Messi. So I'm choosing to believe this is going to go better than it will go poorly. We'll see what happens. Uh, last season, as you said, Ryan, they missed the playoffs, 14th in the East. They won League's Cup. Uh, they spent a good chunk of the season treading water, waiting for Lionel Messi to arrive, as do Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba. Uh, they've continued at the Barcelona uh, collection this offseason. Luis Suarez, the uh, future Golden Boot winner, as I've said many times, uh, replaces Joseph Martinez, sort of, uh, who never really found uh, his form uh, in Inter-Miami. Suarez is 37 years old, has plenty of miles, but played 2,800 minutes last campaign for Gremio, scored 17 goals and had 11 assists. So he's still good, it turns out. So too, so too is uh, Julian Gressel. Joe mentioned him leaving Columbus, two-time MLS Cup winner. 30 years old, usually plays on the wing and has good distribution, but has played centrally for Tata Martino before when he was at Atlanta. Uh, so if they're in a 4-3-3, my guess is that he'll be one of the wide attackers. If they're in a back three, which they've been more recently, then we might see Julian Gressel more central couple other uh, additions and changes. Kamal Miller, the center back, uh, is out. Nicholas Freire, I think is how you say it, uh, arrives on a season-long loan from Pumas. And uh, his distribution is real, real good. Uh, he is going to be the one who I think is looking to play long balls through to some extent uh, for, you know, the, the speedy Luis Suarez to run onto, but more likely is like big switches into the channels. I think he is the center back who has the best distribution. So I think he's going to be the one pinging balls into feet and into the channels. Uh, uh, Gregory is out the long, long-term captain of Inter Miami until Lionel Messi arrived. And then that armband uh, changed possession pretty quickly. Uh, 29 years old, missed lots of last season with injury. He goes to Botafogo. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, Miami needing to be cap compliant, roster compliant, and also to have room to then sign Federico Redondo. It does seem like that move is now actually going to happen after appearing dead, after it appeared like it was definitely going to happen. Again, Inter-Miami, a little bit turbulent, but he'll likely join as a U-22 player, Argentina youth national teamer, 21 years old, can deputize for Sergio Busquets if he needs to, but can also play as a box-to-box -box midfielder. So I think he gives them a lot of versatility and is a, a really, really exciting signing if and when that happens. Uh, as I said, they can play in a 4-3-3. 
They have done a lot of back three in preseason, 3-4-3, 3-5-2, usually with Suarez and Messi up top if they're going with a front two. They're going to want possession. They're going to want to slow it down. They're going to want to string together a lot of passes and really control the game, Uh, rely on individuals to make a difference because they have the individuals who can do that. Uh, but they do also have very much the ability to play a more coordinated attacking game and play lots of little intricate passes to create some good uh, goal-scoring opportunities. In terms of areas of concern, I don't want to go like fully an hour long, but uh, in terms of how much time we've got, I've, I've got a list here. Um, we weren't and maybe still aren't sure if they're roster compliant. Uh, preseason tour went about as poorly as it could have. You get ill will across the across the globe after Little Messi isn't able to play very much. You also have uh, Facundo Farias, their 21-year-old midfielder, tear his ACL in the first preseason game. He's out for the rest of the season. Uh, they had to sell some key players and some very much liked players, if not beloved, uh, to make things work. I think they're better overall, but you do have potential depth issues. Speaking of depth, Lionel Messi, if Argentina go to Copa America final, I think we'll miss a fifth of the regular season. And then we would assume we'll also miss some more time uh, due to injuries and just general rest. So a similar ish question to like Atlanta with Thiago Almada. If your entire game plan is get Messi the ball and let him do messy things. If you don't have Messi, what then becomes the game plan? And I think Tata Martino is capable of figuring that out. But it is certainly an area of concern. And then also when you have Suarez and Messi up top, it's, it is the PSG conundrum again of can you defend with only eight outfield players? Because the two of them aren't necessarily going to be sprinting back to get into a defensive position or anything like that. So some concerns there. And then along that line of how do you defend, uh, a good point raised by, I believe, Jeff Lowry. Uh, here's your quote. Thomas Aviles is 20. Noah Allen is 19. Uh, Serhi Kritsov is 32. Nicholas Freire will be 30. DeAndre Yedlin is 30. Jordi Alba is 34. Julian Gressel is 30. So where there's experience along Miami's defense, there's mostly a lack of athleticism to sweep up behind the team's high defensive line. And where there's athleticism, there's a lack of experience to know when and how to deal with on-rushing attackers. So... You do basically have a, a team that has a lot of talent in a number of positions, but also has plenty of question marks. But again, we're going with an optimistic interpretation and an optimistic feeling about Inter-Miami. That said, uh, my specific prediction will be that Inter-Miami will have at least one blowout win and at least one blowout loss, like 5-0 and 5-0. Uh, I've already said that I think Luis Suarez will set the single-season goal-scoring record. Uh, I kind of regret that now, looking a little bit more at this team, but I still think he's going to score a ton of goals and my final specific prediction is that Thomas Aviles, uh, the the center back they got in the summer, I believe, will be sent off at least once. Uh, I also had that he won't be an MLS All-Star, but probably should be. I don't think he will be because they're going to have like five other people in the All-Star team. Uh, but he's a 21-year-old Argentine center back and is very well-rounded. I think he will be the defensive cover. He will be the the speedier one of the back line to kind of make up the ground to deal with counterattacking threats. He's also the one who seems most likely to step out when teams try to play long or play into midfielders. He'll step out and try to limit that or shut down that counter. But he does dive in. He does go to ground. And I have a feeling if he's the last man trying to make up ground, trying to make a play, I think we're going to see him concede at least one penalty or, or get himself a red card for a foul outside of the box. So that is my third specific prediction for Inter-Miami. For a, for a non-specific prediction, mm-hmm. Taylor, is there any reason why they shouldn't be favorites to win the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, really, like, it, it can go either way. I, I think I've said before, 
Inter Miami could win Supporter Shield, win MLS Cup, and I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. And they could also be fifth in the East and not make the playoffs or not make the final, and I wouldn't be surprised either. Just because you have so many of those little question marks is is Luis Suarez able to handle a full MLS season? And if he's not, do you have the talent to deputize stylistically and also from a talent perspective? What happens if you have a Lionel Messi injury? What happens when you don't have Lionel Messi for large chunks of the season? What happens if you don't have the depth that you might need because you have so many star players on big money wages? I I think there are certainly issues I still think they have the the talent and if they have that starting 11 out there to destroy some teams. So I, I think I wouldn't say they're going to be comfortably supporter shield winners, but I think the consensus seemed to have them from the expert voting in like fourth or fifth in the East. I would put them maybe a little bit higher if I'm being optimistic, but I don't know if they're going to win the supporter shield. I'm not sure that is the goal. I think winning MLS Cup at the end of the season is certainly the goal, and I think they have the personnel and the manager manager behind them to make that happen. I, I thought and the Siri goal was agrees. Shirts. Apparently, there we go. Hmm? <laughs> I thought the goal was selling shirts. Am I, am I wrong? Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you're not wrong, honestly. <laughs> but that, but then you know you got the weird anchor thing going on, so I'm not sure if that's going as well as they wanted to. So maybe they had to pivot into actually winning games. Weird anchor. We support our friends at Royal Caribbean on the Total Soccer Show. Should you're they not be a getting future a sponsorship, sponsor? Ryan. You're not getting a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, Joe, take us to Montreal, please. Uh, missed out on the playoffs last year, courtesy of our friends at Charlotte FC. Uh, Joe Saputo's uh, team in Serie A, uh, doing pretty well. Bologna, doing pretty well. How about Montreal this season? Going to have a similar Saputo lift? No? Yes? Mm, Charlotte FC and the eight other teams that finished above them in the Eastern Conference. I do appreciate you getting Charlotte in there nonetheless. Um, you look at this team, the big the big question, rather than the headline for them, is what will year one of the Laurent Couture project look like in Montreal? That is the question. It's a clear shift back to the Wilfred Nance style. You know, Having a possession-heavy manager after the Hernan Lasada experiment did not work out last season, which was a forgettable one. Ryan, you mentioned you know, missing out on the playoffs, 10th in the East, 41 points they lost before the season. Will Fernandez to Columbus, George Mahalovic, Alistair Johnston, Ismail Kone, and others, and did not add the necessary talent to stay up towards the top of the East like they were when they finished second in 2022. Lasada wanted to play more aggressive and didn't really give them any sort of specialties tactically, and Montreal didn't like that, and they weren't good, so the front office brought down the hammer. Now they're on to their 10th coach, since joining MLS in 2012. That is 10 coaches since 2012. Things are going great in Montreal. The uh, One of the most meaningful ins for this club is Laurent Courtois. It's hard not to like this hire. I'm not optimistic whatsoever about Montreal this year. I think they're going to be a bad soccer team. But you look at the manager, and I think he will give them some foundation and a direction moving forward. He's the first MLS Next Pro head coach to be hired by an MLS team coming over from Columbus Crew 2. Has the Nazi ties there, speaks French. This is a really logical fit in a lot of ways. And it's worth taking a swing on a manager that you can give a little bit of a longer leash to because no one in Montreal with one DP signed should be expecting this team to be good in Major League Soccer. One DP signed, by the way, and no more expected to arrive. I should be very, very clear about that. I like the Courtois move quite a bit. Uh, I do not like the rest of their offseason signings. Dominic Yankov comes over from Bulgaria. He's supposed to be the quote-unquote like big-time number 10. He's never played outside of Bulgaria. Matthias Kokoro coming from South America. He's supposed to be like the striker edition. 
uh, he doesn't score goals. Like he, he just hasn't shown an ability to be a, a good number nine. The most fun player addition is Joseph Martinez, which I think I saw somebody maybe in the in our Discord compare this to like not Michael Jordan signing for the Washington Wizards, but um, Michael Jordan signing for the White Sox in Major League Baseball, <laughs> which I love so much. <laughs> this is one of the most out of left field moves of the entire offseason. He's not the same player he used to be, Joseph Martinez. But, like, you could do worse than adding someone of his pedigree to the locker room and, and trying to, you know, build something more long-lasting. Outgoings, Romel Kyoto's gone. That's a big miss. He wasn't very good last year. Injuries derailed this season. And Aaron Herrera uh, went out when Juan came in from D.C. United. Tactically, I, I kind of mentioned it already. I'm not going to dwell on it any longer. This team should look like something like what CF Montreal looked like in the early Wolf Nance days. That's a step in the right direction. Likely a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-1-2. Lots of control passes, expecting the center backs to push forward and Victor Wanyama to really conduct play from central midfield. It's not going to be pretty all the time, but it's going to be prettier than it was last season. And the hope is that this structure gives you then the positional profiles that you can nail down to go out and get pieces that work and that you can elevate into something that's more than the sum of its parts. The optimistic take on Montreal is that Courtois is going to be a really good coach and he's going to give them something more even than I think he will. The pessimistic take is that the talent just straight up isn't there and that this team is not going to be good in any way. Uh, I lean more towards the concern side, although I am sort of excited to watch this team play. The VSP is that at least six different players are going to start at striker this year. That's basically what we got last year. You can pull an AM out of a hat with this team for like a lot of Jules Anthony Vassant. Yeah, Goss loves Jules Anthony Vassant. Um, and uh, who am I, mean, I who to deprive doesn't? you of that of that joy? Taylor, <laughs> obviously loves him. That's what I'm saying, him. Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, of course. Uh, the, the striker position is going to be a crapshoot come like May. Maybe there's a first choice now. I don't think it's going to last. We're going to see a bunch of players tried at that spot. And I'm not expecting any of them to hit big, nor am I expecting this Montreal team to hit big in 2024. Très bien, merci Joe. Uh, David, will you take us to Nashville, who stayed in the Eastern Conference this season? I love that for them. Thank you. I, I, I do too. I think you, you want to get those miles. You want to build up some credit in hotels. If you're moving conferences, you're all over the place. Um, and, you know, it, it was a tough move for Nashville. So... As you said, Nashville moved from the West to the Eastern Conference last season. They finally did it. They signed a big-time designated player center forward for the second time. Uh, in Sam Surridge, coming over from the English Championship, they hosted the League's Cup final, and then they lost to Inter-Miami at that time. They were second in the Eastern Conference. They made it to a League's Cup final. Everything was good. They ended up finishing below the home playoff teams. They were eliminated in the first round after two 1-0 losses, which I think lost me the whole thing against Joe and Taylor's pick this, pick that whole thing. So there's a ton of angst against Nashville for this show. I've got it for you guys. Don't worry I about it. Um, and the reason they lost two playoff games 1-0 is because they still suck at scoring goals. They were 10th in the Eastern Conference on goals scored. That is below the playoff spots. And yet they still made the playoffs because they're still elite defensively this offseason, as Nashville always does. Very small changes. They may have brought in two new star starters. Drew Yearwood was traded for from the New York Red Bulls. It looks like to replace Dax McCarty. Of course, Sean Davis was already in the building and could be the replacement at that position as well. And then Tyler Boyd was traded for from the LA Galaxy, most likely to replace Fafa Pico or whoever else was playing on the right wing. And then Mackenzie Gaines, one of your, of course, surrogate children. Ryan was brought in right. from Charlotte to be a part of this team as well. We expect him to put up an MVP season uh, for a team where... 
If you've never watched them play, you're probably okay. And if you have, you know what I'm going to say. The way this team plays, structured low to mid block uh, in their 4-2-3-1, impossible to play through, fantastic aerially, lose very few aerial duels, and then they attack in transition through Hani Mukhtar, whether he's playing technically as the second forward, as the number 10, whatever it is, there's a hope that it can develop a little bit. This year with Sam Surridge, if he can sort of hold the line, you can drop Hani Mukhtar a little bit deeper. And I think the belief is Tyler Boyd has a little bit more soccer in him, ability to take players 1v1 or to connect a little bit more into midfield while Schaffelberg stretches the field on the other side of the field. And then both their fullbacks can get into the attack and get involved. Um, Shaq Moore, borderline national team player, has not performed at a high level since he's been there. My VSP with them, and this might be a cop out, but they've never actually done this specifically before, is that they will be last in the league in short passes completed. I'm going based off FB ref. So they are always bottom five, but they've never been last. And it feels like with Serge's size and sort of with the moves they've made, they're going to continue to do that. Drew Yearwood can be a game changer progressing the ball at his feet. He is not a passer. So it doesn't feel like they've tried to develop their ability to control games more. They're just trying to be more dangerous in what they already do. Excellent stuff. I'm excited. I'm going to make Judas Park my one of my away games this year, David. Uh, I think that's one you've got to do. Uh, the, the Charlotte FC game coincides with St. Paddy's Day weekend. So that feels like the one you yeah, have to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm excited about that. In Music City. Sorry, Austin, that's not you. That's Nashville. Uh, Taylor, why don't you take us to not Music City, New England Revolution, please. Your thoughts for Caleb Porter's side this coming season. Uh, not Music City. I, I think they've got the Dropkick Murphys. And maybe Boston. Is Boston from Boston? If so, then they've got two. Uh, New England's summary for me would be that they have almost as many, if this happens, then this could happen, as Inter-Miami. Last year was chaos. Uh, They got a lot of headlines and not very good headlines, uh, even though the team itself was quietly competent. Uh, They were better than competent prior to the situation with Bruce Arena and his departure and backroom infighting. They end up fifth in the East, uh, swept in the first round by the Philadelphia Union. Uh, the departure of Georgi Petrovich to Chelsea. I keep forgetting that happened and then see him starting and have my mind blown. Uh, really put a hurting on their postseason plans and I think showed what their intent really was. Um, so what's changed this season? Quite a bit. Caleb Porter uh, arrives as the coach, the two-time MLS Cup winner. Uh, pretty clear that the Revs went for experience and not quite a like Bruce Arena clone i wouldn't say that they're that similar but it just feels like they wanted mls experience guy who's won isn't going to demand a wholesale change in everything we do has ideas on how he wants to play but isn't sort of married to one concept so that half the roster has to be changed uh after selling petrovich uh and letting tomas vaslik go which i have so many questions about that one because he was brought in and i believe never played for them i don't know what was going on there uh heinrich ravas arrives as their next goalkeeper he's 26 he is slovakian uh called up but uncapped at national team level arrives from a club in poland that i cannot pronounce so there you go gustavo Bo departs back to argentina not productive enough in the last two seasons to justify uh the designated player slot which opened up that slot which was then immediately filled by Thomas Chankalai, signing on a permanent deal. Uh, 11 games on loan last season. He'll start the season on the left wing until 22-year-old Colombian Dylan Barrero returns from injury. 
Uh, similar deputy would be Nick Lima coming in from Austin. He'll start it right back until Brandon by returns from an ACL injury that's expected to be around mid March. Uh, they will likely play in a four, two, three, one. That seems to be what Caleb Porter tends to like, uh, as I said, retain possession, but not really like he's not high pressing. He's not sit, sit deep and counter. Uh, Joe's other brother, Jeremy Lowry, uh, wrote of their, uh, their hopes. They have a perennial MVP candidate at number 10 spot, uh, and mostly solid players around him in MLS. That's a really, really good recipe for finishing towards the top of your conference and making a deep playoff run. Uh, I would agree with that joe uh this team was 14th in possession 15th in attacking speed 20th in passes per defensive action which means they're not super committed to any one thing uh, which means i think this team is pretty capable of adapting as needed including in formation so they could be in a back three at times i think a back four generally speaking so why am i feeling apprehensive as I said, a lot of if blank, then blank. Here we go. If DP striker Giacomo Vrioni can live up to his billing, if Carlos Hill can rediscover his elite form from a few seasons ago, if Chankalai and Barrero and Bayaktarovic can create goals and chances from wide, if Lima is a capable right-back starter, if the center backs are as deep as they seem to be, if Ravas can be the next great Revs goalkeeper, if Caleb Porter is still a silverware winning Caleb Porter, and if the front office animosity is finished, then it could be a very, very good season for the New England Revolution. I am pretty optimistic. I think they have a lot of talent. I think... Their season last year was marred by so many off-pitch headlines and stories. I think they're still a very good team, and they have a lot of talent. Uh, they do, as I said, have an, a couple injury concerns heading into the season, and that is where my specific prediction comes in. Esmir Bayraktarovic, we saw him for the U.S. in January. Uh, the teenage winger will have 10 or more combined goals and assists last year. Zero goals and zero assists in 13 appearances, about 500 minutes. But he will be their starting right winger uh, to begin this season until Barrero is back. But we don't know when that will be. Uh, I think the Revs will be a more consistent team this year. I think that they will be a more interesting attacking team. And there are plenty of other parts to the attack for opposition players to focus on and deal with that I think it's not as though he is the player that everything is going to go through by Raktarovic. So I think it will give him some license to create and score and just uh, make some things happen. So I I'm excited for him. This is definitely from a USMNT tinted perspective, but Esmir Bayraktarovic will have 10 or more combined goals and assists. Amazing stuff. Thank you, Taylor. I'd like to issue an apology to the city of Boston for calling it not Music City, by the way. Boston are from Boston, as are, of course, Aerosmith, uh, the Pixies, eh. the Cars, okay. the Lemonheads, all of Joe's favorites, all from Boston. How, you know, also, U2 is from Boston. <laughs> Interesting. People from Boston will tell you U2 is from Boston. I think you two certainly wish they were from Boston. That's I think everyone involved wishes it happened, so they just made it the reality. I'm just going to assume <laughs> House of Pain is from Boston. That that feels yeah. like a thing that happened. Okay. I think this is what this show around? needed, guys. I think I'm this, sure that, this conversation is what we needed on today's episode. I'm sure there are musical acts from Boston that existed before the 1990s, but uh, we don't know any of them. Did you hear Joe just say, we've got five more teams to preview, let's get on with it? I think that's what I just heard. No, so I we're heard more take... Boston talk. No? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Joe, we'll do some break, uh, break talk, talk during the break. Uh, we'll be coming, coming back with the New York teams back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible 
to have it both ways. Mack Welder makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we are previewing the East, everybody. We go now to Mr. Joseph Lowry, who's going to take us to New York City. What are you thinking, Joe? Yeah, let's talk about New City FC, NYC FC, New York City Football Club, New York City F Club. I don't know exactly what the acronym is. Uh, rumor has it maybe there are some changes coming on the acronym, which I will not give up. Cool against NYC FC. What are the rumors, Joe? Uh, just that they don't want to be NYC FC anymore, and I, I, I want them to be NYC FC still. What do they want to be? New YCFC. New, I, no one knows, truly, Ryan. Just NYCFC wow. is on, on uh, maybe on some sort of a, a short lifespan. At this point. <laughs> what if they were like, we want to be called Atlanta United from now on? <laughs> if they just like just came for other teams in the East. Let's do Guys, that. I'll be honest. I kind of thought maybe I was a little bit better uh, at the last segment because I didn't engage in the music talk. And now I'm realizing I'm just as bad as all of the rest of you engaging in these <laughs> conversations. They don't matter on an episode that's going to be 27 hours long. NYCFC. The big picture headline and question for them in 2024, with all the pieces there from the start, unlike last year, can this team compete for a trophy? That is the conversation that NYCFC want to be in. When you look at their roster, it is a reasonable one for them to be in. There's a lot to like about this squad. The summary from last season, though, is filled with disappointments. They hit a new low in their MLS history. Uh, They finished 11th in the Eastern Conference, did not make the playoffs. They suffered due to the front office's choice not to bring in a striker until the summer. And even after that happened, in a positive expected goal differential, they just could not climb their way above the playoff line. In many ways, this team is still trying to turn the page after winning MLS Cup in Portland in 2021. This year could be the year that that happens. They had, I think, a really sharp uh, winter transfer window. They brought in three fun attackers and Hannes Wolf coming over from, from Europe. Augustino Heda, who we've talked about on this show, and Jovan Mijatovic, who is one of my favorite young players joining the league. 18-year-old Serbian forward can do it all and looks like, and kind of, well, it doesn't look like, but he plays like Wayne Rooney. Doesn't quite have that uh, that Rooney-esque look to him entirely. But it's, it's a super young attack. It is a shame. And it kind of got younger this offseason in a lot of respects. Outgoings, a few players that played some last year, but nobody that's worth diving into right now. Uh, Richie Ledesma, go be free. Do something awesome somewhere else. I love you. Tactics. They are led as of now 
by the youngest manager in MLS. That is until Minnesota United make the hire that it seems like they're going to make. Uh, but they play like a city football group team plays. They like to keep the ball. They like to defend in sort of this kind of mid-block 4-4-2 shape. But they want to be in control. They want to have the ball. They want to do all those kinds of line-breaking things with controlled passes through midfield. The midfield group is really, really strong. And that is sort of the heart of this team. The optimistic perspective is that, again, they're ready to compete from day one. Unlike last season, personnel-wise... Santi Rodriguez, James Sands, and Keaton Parks will combine to be one of the best midfield trios in all of MLS. Jago Martins and Burke Risa in the, in the middle of the back line had time to gel towards the end of last season, and that is a good sign. Goalkeepers should be less of an issue now that Matt Fries is the starter for them, and Luis Barraza lost that job in August of last year. Musa Pekrar on the attack looks like a legit you know, 12, 14, 15, 16 goal scorer in MLS, and Mijitovic looks like he might out-wrestle him for the starting job, which tells you how good he is. Tyus Magno is a really, really good player, and if Nick Cushing plays him on the wing, he will be excellent this season. They have like 27 other really good young attackers that make this team super fun to watch. The concern is the back line and the goalkeeper are going to be mediocre, the attack is too young, and those do not a good team make. I lean more towards the optimism side than the pessimism side for this team right now. With that being said, I think I have them like seventh in the Eastern Conference. They could be as high as like third or fourth, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. And they could win MLS Cup, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. This is going to be a real bounce back year, but the question is just sort of how much. My VSP is that only the Columbus crew will attempt more dribbles than NYCFC in 2024. There are just so many dribbly boys in this team, like so many of those players that want to get on the ball and take four players on. And I, I think it's going to make this team incredibly fun to watch. The crew are going to have more than NYCFC, who had the seventh most last year, by the way, just because they keep the ball more than anybody else, and that does lead to a lot of dribbles. Miami will be in this conversation as well, but I'm backing NYCFC's young and very, very dribbly attack to finish only behind the crew in dribbles attempted in 2024. Joe, the important question we all have, is dribbly boys one word or two? Is it hyphenated? Mm -hmm. How do you picture that one? So I've gotten into this rut recently where my brain tries to hyphenate everything. So Mm -hmm. my gut now says it probably doesn't need to be hyphenated, but is two words. And boys is spelled B-O-I-S. I don't make the rules. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That, now I know for my tattoo, so yeah. I don't get it wrong. Right. That's actually right. Well, no, you already have it. You're going to have to get it changed, right? You're going to cover it over. <laughs> right. right. Joe. Right. No, but... Sorry. On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> wait, I came in way hotter than I I'm should. over this. Joe! <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, with ten being bad, me having a lot of stock in NYCFC right now, am I in trouble? No, three. I think you're mostly fine. The prob- okay. If this team was in the Western Conference, I would have predicted them to finish third behind Seattle and LAFC. That's how like weirdly large the gap is between the East and the West. In the East, it feels like there are nine teams that actually are probably pretty good, and the rest are the ones that David Goss got to preview, um, and maybe Nashville. But like, <laughs> it, it, just, it just doesn't seem like uh, they have a clear path necessarily to finishing like, at the top of the East, but I think this team's going to be good. Okay, I'm calling my stock market guy and telling him to double down also Do don't it. even know what they're called that's how little i've ever invested money in my life <laughs> all right david what why don't you take us across the river to the new york red bulls how bullish are you about your uh, uh, theoretical investment in you uh, the jersey oh, oh you got it from both sides wow yeah, into this. Right? well done the garden state baby the state with the best you can cut that in there, Joe. You can cut in that I said nothing after. I'm already cutting out the <laughs> about, Midwest part from earlier. So. About the state of New Jersey. No, I love New Jersey as a noted Long Islander. Um, <laughs> when you talk about the New York Red Bulls, spoilers, they made the playoffs last year. 
They have the longest playoff record uh, streak in MLS history. That means have, nothing. I what? think they have the longest <laughs> playoff streak in professional sports right now. But then you get into who does Sports Center consider a professional sport when they're talking about it. Then you get deeper and deeper into the Reddit page. So either way, as Joe mentioned, it is a huge honor and it's been a really big deal. And it's what the club's been built around. Gerhard Struber started the year as coach. He left in May. And ended up, surprisingly, at Red Bull Salzburg a little bit after, but pure coincidence. On that one, he was replaced by interim Troy Lassane, who I talked about with DC United. Their big signing, Dante Van Zier, was suspended for a while uh, because of uh, a racism issue. And then he never really hit form when he was on the field. But the defense was elite, as they have been consistently over the last few years. It has been a big offseason for this club. Emil Forsberg. Coming over, Swedish international, you all know him from RB Leipzig. He's the signing that I think Red Bull fans have thought could happen for the last 10 years of big-time player coming from a RB family team to the New York Red Bulls. CFG have done it a bit. Some other clubs in MLS have done it a little bit. It's never really happened for Red Bulls. They've also brought in a U22 winger in Dennis Gengar. And Noah Ellie, a center back from Europe, both of those under 22 initiative players. They signed Roel Mitchell as a homegrown, which I had to mention because I love Roel Mitchell. And I want to mention that Lewis Morgan, who was their MVP two years ago, played zero minutes last year, should be coming back from injury. That counts as an addition to me on the outs. Some big names, but not really big value. Omir Fernandez, I think, is a genuine loss. Drew Yearwood, they traded. Luquinhos, they let go because he underperformed. Tom Barlow, they traded. And Hassan Endam. Uh, they let go. For style, new manager now in Sandro Schwartz. It's going to be similar, though. Red Bull are who they are. They're going to probably be last in the league in pass completion percentage. They're going to be the highest pressing team with the highest line. They're still going to use that as their main way of playing. But I think under Schwartz, the idea is that in possession and when teams sit deeper on them, they have more and better ideas of how to break teams down. And the whole gambit, and I think it'll work, is that Emil Forsberg is an elite chance creator in transition moments. That when they turn the ball over against other teams and they get it to Forsberg, his decision-making and his quality in that first moment is going to open up chances that have not been open to players on this team basically since Sasha Kleschen and Bradley Wright Phillips were on the field. Which brings me to my VSP. A forward will score double-digit goals on this team. Yes, it sounds simple. It hasn't happened since 2018 when BWP retired. Brian White scored nine goals one time. Otherwise, a forward has not scored more than five goals in a season. Four Red Bulls, their leading scorers that have broken double digits since then are Danny Royer and Lewis Morgan. So it would be a blessing if Elias Manuel or Dante Van Zier were able to score double digit goals. I think with Morgan coming back with Forsberg into the team and then with Amaya being able to settle in as the center mid, I think this team's going to be dangerous. It's going to be probably the best Red Bull team we've seen. It's probably since 2020. Wow. Lots of reasons to be cheerful in Jersey. Thank you very much, David. Not a lot Taylor. of reasons, Ryan. Let's not overrate it. There are reasons. Let's just leave it at that. I mean, you know, there's, there's reasons. Uh, Springsteen's from there. That's still a reason for celebration, right? Yeah? Sure. Okay, great. Uh, Orlando City, mm-hmm. let's go to there, Taylor. Tenth season in MLS. Uh, did pretty good last year. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about this year? Yes, sir. That they did. Uh, my Orlando City preview begins... Things are improved. Things are improved. 
Things are improved. Last year, uh, strong season, 63 points, 12 better than their best ever finish. Second in the East. Uh, they were second in the Supporter Shield race as well. Obviously knocked out in the playoffs by Columbus. I think three of the five teams I previewed were knocked out by Columbus. So there you go. Uh, but they, along the way, had a strong foundation and kept most of that strong foundation in place. What has changed for them this season is not as much as we might have thought would change because Duncan McGuire and Blackburn, specifically Blackburn, don't know how to do things. Uh, that move falls through. He is still there. I don't I genuinely have no idea what happens with him. I don't know if he will stay. I don't know if they will sell him. Uh, but they have, in the meantime, signed his replacement, thinking that he would leave. Uh, anticipating his departure, they brought in Luis uh, Muriel from Atlanta. Atalanta, excuse me. Uh, not Atlanta or NYCFC Atlanta. Uh, but Luis Muriel, I went and watched a bunch of footage of him because I was sort of skeptical because he was very good for Atalanta like four seasons ago. And then it's diminishing returns since then. He's still very good. He's still very technical, very capable of scoring, and works really, really hard off the ball. I think he is going to be an exceptional signing for them. In a similar vein to Muriel, Orlando signings were meant to replace and strengthen at the same time. So Antonio Carlos, 30-year-old center back, departs for Fluminense. In comes David Brecalo, 25-year-old right-footed Slovenian international. Um, Mauricio Pereira's contract was canceled by mutual consent. A lot of that happening uh, in the offseason for various teams. He was 33, 34 games played, 2,300 minutes. Club captain, had a ton of experience. So they went for Nico Lodero, 34-year-old MLS legend, uh, will function better as a number 10, uh, and I think has plenty of experience himself. How they're going to play under Oscar Pereja, uh, another base shape, 4-2-3-1. I know Joe loves it when I summarize in formation like that. Uh, A very risk-averse team. They're not going to be particularly committed to pressing. They're going to be mid-block defending. Uh, They've got... I think a very good defensive line. Robin Jansen is a very good defender. I think Brekelo will partner him quite well. I think that will be a very formidable center back pairing. In the attack, uh, wingers and fullbacks are going to be heavily involved and take up different positions in, in the wide channel, wide areas and in the half spaces. Uh, I think their goal is to overload or basically just pull defenders out and open up space in the middle. And I think Luis Muriel is very adept at finding those little pockets of space and getting into them to receive a pass and then firing off a quick shot. But he is not where my specific prediction goes. It goes to Martin Ojeda. Uh, He is a designated player for Orlando City. I think he will start at least 25 games this season, which is not a that bold of a prediction on the surface when you're talking about a designated player. But here's why I go this way. Last year, 16 starts, 6 goals, 10 assists. But he is their second most expensive signing ever. I don't feel like the goals and the number of starts back up those numbers. And the assists, I believe he is their, largely their set-piece taker on corners and free kicks. So getting assists in there from headed goals. I think he needs to do more in a number of ways. And I think if everyone is fully fit, he is probably not a starter. They made uh, Ivan Angulo's loan permanent, so he probably starts on the left wing. I think Nico Lodero starts in the middle if everybody's good to go. And I think Facundo Torres starts on the right. But Pereira is gone. Ladero is 34. He can't go every game. So when you look at the depth chart, uh, I think you've got Ojeda as a deputy left wing and attacking midfielder and right winger. Uh, so I think there's a chance that he will get consistent starts because you're going to have rotation uh he is one of two possible number 10 deputies if Ladero can't go Facundo Torres being the other so if Torres is there it seems like Ojeda will start on the right so I think he is going to start in various spots uh on the pitch for Orlando City 
Uh, I'm not sure if that makes them better necessarily. I think he's good uh, holding up the ball, but I also think he doesn't do a ton once he holds it up. Uh, I feel like he tends to take a loose touch or get dispossessed or end up getting into kind of physical battles. Uh, I don't think he's really like next level at taking people on and beating them. But I think if he can develop better control and speed in his passing decision-making, I feel like he slows up a lot and then invites that pressure and then tries to go kind of 1v1 physical battle. I think if he moves the ball faster, moves himself faster, I think it ends up being a very good season for him. Regardless of that, I think it will be another strong season for Orlando City because they're a very good team, and I think they're another one that got better in the offseason. Fantastic stuff. Our penultimate, excuse me, preview comes from Joe Lowry. He's going to take us to Philadelphia, the Union Conference finest last year, of course. Uh, arguably among the favorites to go to distance, the Jim Curtin side, Joe. Yeah, this is a really good squad. The big picture for them heading into 2024, excuse me, is can this same group win a trophy? They made an MLS Cup run in 2022 with a very similar group. They finished fourth in the East last year in a good but not great season with a very similar group. Can they be really great this year or has consistency become complacency for the union in their front office? That's the question we're going to find out the answer to because like this is the same team. You can almost copy and paste the preview from last year into this as well. Like last season, I guess there were a few developments. Alejandro Bedoya began to show his age. He's now 36 on the right side of the the diamond in midfield. Daniel Gazdag and Mikel Ure both cooled off in 2023. They had just 12 non-penalty goals between them. Like They kind of took a half step back last year. I think this is still a very good team that has trophy aspirations. Uh, but in terms of the offseason side of things, they did nothing. It, nothing relevant in terms of new players. You have your South American you know, obscure signing here and a Spanish third division signing there, and then you don't have anything else. It, the, the biggest news for Philly this offseason was that they re-signed Kai Wagner and Alejandro Bedoya. And those are two players with pretty different recent uh, memories that they've left on Philadelphia Union fans. Kai Wagner being suspended last season. His suspension has, for some reason, been cut short by Major League Soccer as they've changed up some anti-discrimination policies. But he used uh, racist language towards Bobby Wood in their playoff series against the Revolution. He was brought back. Alejandro Bedoya is the captain of this team, and, and they sort of rescued themselves after fumbling the bag and maybe letting him go, or at least in how they handled that. I don't think it would have been the worst thing ever to let him let him move on, but it did not seem like Ernst Tanner handled that situation very well, but he's back now, as is Julian Carranza, who seems like wants a European move, but also doesn't want to go to any of the teams that want him in Europe. He's back. We'll see how long he sticks around. Tactically, we know what to expect from the Union. It's a 4-4-2 diamond. Most of the time, sometimes it'll be a 3-4-1-2. Either way, Jim Curtin loves to stack numbers in central midfield. They want to win the ball. They want to attack quickly in transition. According to Opta, only five teams in MLS attacked with more speed than the Union last year. Once they're in the attack, it really is the left side that does so much of the chance creation for this team. Kai Wagner is probably the, the best fullback in a back four in all of Major League Soccer. He's a great distributor from that left side. Uh, Daniel Gazdag will go and crash the box as sort of a a pseudo forward, even though he's playing in that number 10 spot. And then defensively, they're going to press high, but they don't have to press all the time. They can defend in mid-block as well. Jose Martinez is awesome to watch at the number six spot and will eat up everything in midfield. Super fun player. The optimistic read on this team is that Ewan Carranza is going to be motivated to show out in the last year of his contract, either to maybe stick around in MLS or maybe just to wind down his contract and go sign wherever he wants in Europe or maybe to move in the summer, who knows? And the other portion here is that Jack McGlynn, who is the the most unproven high upside option in the starting 11, like really takes a step forward and becomes a very, very good player for this team, especially in the final third. 
and the rest of the group just maintains while those two players, Carranza and McGlynn, do something special. The concern is that it's the same group, man. Like, while the rest of the Eastern Conference seemingly is trying to get better, the Union aren't and are just okay to stick around and wait. I don't think that sinks their season, but it certainly doesn't put them in as good of a spot as as it could. And I think Union fans are very understandably frustrated about the lack of really incoming top-tier signings. The VSP is that their left side will create a larger share of their total chances than any other left side in MLS. So the left side is going to be doing the heavy lifting for this team as they get into the attack for reasons that I already mentioned with Kai Wagner. And Jack McGlynn is like the silky smooth passer in midfield of the four central midfielders that we expect to start. You know, that is a recipe for success. I guess the question is for the union, how many chances are they creating elsewhere? But the left side is going to be the side to watch for Philly in 2024. Joe, the old adage in soccer is if you're standing still, you're going backwards. Uh, Do you feel like they can better what they did last season in that respect? Yeah, I do. It's possible, right? It's absolutely possible for the reasons I mentioned with Carranza and McGlynn. But I think it's inarguable that the union didn't put themselves in as strong of a position as they could have coming into 2024. But that's also kind of what we expect. Like the union's front office doesn't love to spend on the first team. They don't love taking super big swings. They'd rather go out and get a Carranza from within the league. They'd rather promote McGlynn from the academy setup. And I don't know that that's bad, but I think we're seeing that it's best when you couple those things with the top end talent that can really make you a trophy favorite. And the reality for the union is right now they're a trophy contender, but they're not a favorite. All right. Thank you very much, Joe. Last but not least, I'll take that again. Last and maybe least, we've got Toronto FC. Uh, David Gass, would you tell us about them? Tell us about uh, their prospects this season. I want to start out by saying that last year in the Eastern Conference, the bottom four teams were DC United, Chicago, Miami, and Toronto FC. One of those is not similar. Miami signed Messi. I was assigned the other three to preview for this show. Now, this is where so I say... I am protesting. This is where I say that normally we go alphabetical order. Uh, I think I got all of Goss's teams last year. And I would have this year, except that we went reverse alphabetical order. You're welcome, Goss. Uh, I did that to you deliberately. So, in protest, <laughs> I'm just going to preview Inter-Miami here and just say Toronto every once in a while. But in all seriousness, I cannot believe anyone is supposed to talk about this team in any intelligent way. This is the most absurd club in Major League Soccer. This was the team the league revolved around for about five years, from 2015 through to 2020. They are... Irrelevant on a level in which before I started doing this, I didn't realize they hadn't signed any players this offseason. I just thought I wasn't paying attention and they just hadn't signed anyone and didn't really care. So last season, Bob Bradley got fired. There are two designated player superstars from Italy. They fought with each other. They fought with the coach. They fought with their teammates. And then, of course, one was vaping in official team space after being asked not to. Uh, not a single signing from the previous offseason hit. That was Matt Hedges, Sean Johnson, Raul Petretta, um, Sigmund Rosted, guys like that. And then they hired John Herdman in the summer, and he said, yeah, that's cool. I don't want any part of this on my record, so I will start on the last day of the year. Let me know how you guys do until then. They did poorly. They were eliminated as one of the first teams eliminated. Uh, As I said, they finished in the bottom four in the Eastern Conference and the bottom of the league. And now John Herdman takes over. So what has changed? I have no idea. Herdman is the official coach as of now. Uh, As I mentioned, they've not actually signed players. They signed Debbie Flores 
fantastic. And then like 20 minutes ago, they signed Kevin Long, 33-year-old center back from Birmingham City, an Irish center back. So he should fit into the getting younger, more athletic, knows how to win in this league profile of a 33-year-old center back who's never played in MLS before. Uh, For this team on the outs, no one really of consequence that was a major part of the group that was competitive last year. But part of that is because they weren't competitive. So I'll just say Michael Bradley. I think we should have enough. I should have enough respect to just say Michael Bradley, seminal player in this league's history, as well as the sport in this region. He was the reason that TFC became a center of the league. When he came in, they were a laughing stock. In his entire time, they were really impressive. It has gotten a little bit sad over the last few years. He was not capable of doing it anymore. The team was still built around him. He is now gone. I believe he's coaching under Bob um, back in Scandinavia. Otherwise, CJ Sapong would be the other name you would bring up that's been let go. And as I said, pretty much no one has been brought in except for, of course, the legend Kevin Long. In terms of how they're going to play, it's a little bit of a mystery. John Herdman has never coached a club team before. He has been versatile and flexible with national teams, which I think is key to being successful with national teams. You don't get to make acquisitions. Your player pool is your player pool. What he did with the Canadian women's national team was different than what he did with the Canadian men's national team. He played in different formations. He played in different styles. He highlighted different pieces of the team. That was a huge credit to him because he was successful in both spots. I don't think that works with a club team. I think you have to have a guiding vision. You have to have consistency, both in allow you to help in player acquisition and to keep the highs and lows of a long MLS season more closer to the mean average of where you want to be. Um, But he, the one thing we have learned about him is he will take huge swings in big moments. We saw it in the World Cup coming out, high pressing, playing aggressive in the group of death when we didn't see it coming. We saw it against the U.S. and Mexico. We saw it in the Women's World Cup as well in 2015 as the host nation going out and attacking some of the biggest teams and playing high tempo. So while I don't know how they're going to play week in and week out, I think he can trust that John Herdman's going to take risks and he's going to try and open his team up and he's going to try and make them a, a protagonist, which they have not successfully been uh, in a couple years, which takes me to my VSP which is I protest a VSP as part of my protest. But if I was going to do one, I'm going to say a home homegrown signings as totality will score 15 or more goals for this team over the last four years. That's number has been about between six and eight. I think John Herman, knowing what he knows from the Canadian national team talent pool, knows there are good young players in the GTA, knows that has to be part of Toronto FC's identity. The only senior players in that group he can lean on are really DeAndre Kerr and maybe Io Akinola. If you're not putting Jonathan Osorio in this conversation, which I'm not, I think that John Herdman will start to get to the roots of being a Toronto, Dallas, LA team that promotes players from their academy because Toronto has proven it is an elite um, soccer pool in the world. Um, two questions, Gus, just to clarify. With that VSB, that was... A homegrown signing or all no. of their ho- okay yeah it will be okay that makes sense. Um, and second one, would your prediction for them be that they are wooden spoon winners, given how strong the East is and how weak they seem to be? Yes, but I also protest this question mm-hmm. as part of my protest. That's fair. You I, you protest the protest by protesting. I hear you. Yes. I get you. Mm-hmm. Very good. I, I mean, all if right. the Italians hit, it's game changing. I'd be shocked if they were both on the roster 
through the summer. I would be shocked that if he can connect with one of them to get them motivated, that he can connect with both of them and that they want to play together after what we've heard coming out of that team. And that there concludes our Eastern Conference previews. Uh, we got in, Joe, in about an hour if you listen at one and a half speed. So, Which go. is what I do. So I, yeah. I actually respect it. This is a perfect length podcast. Perfect indeed. Joe Lowry, thank you very much for your contributions as always, my good man. We enjoy lis- We will enjoy listening to you in our Western Conference previews coming on the feed shortly. <gasps> what a tease, Ryan. What a tease. Thank you for uh, conducting the chaotic show that needed your conducting. I appreciate it, Ryan. You're very welcome. David Gus, a pleasure having you on the feed as always, my good man. Ryan, I want to thank you, and I don't protest you. I just protest Taylor and Joe. <laughs> oh, protest free. Wow, what an honor. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much indeed for your protested uh, contributions. Ryan, I protest you and David, but not Joe. Yes. All right, I'm going to need to write <laughs> What about down. Jeff and need- Jeremy? <laughs> Are Jeff and Jeremy on the protest list? <laughs> no, they're good too. They're cool. All the many Lowry brothers that I've made up are all cool cool people. Listener, we certainly don't protest you. We appreciate you. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly with the Western Conference previews, as I say. But for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.